In improvisational theater, there is an adage that says, make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll, speaking with guests and listeners like you. Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here is your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome everyone to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I am delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 10th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show is about, feel free to listen to the previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or the voiceamerica.com business channel, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Now, if you missed last week's show, I interviewed Kat Coppett, a delightful human being and a long-established professional in the world of applied improvisation. We talked about the power of improv and storytelling techniques and how they can be used to enhance individual and group performance. My guest today is Natasha Konstantinova. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you. It's great to be here. Same here. I'm delighted that we're talking today. Now, I remember you and I first met, it would have, you reminded me it was 2009 in Prague at the WIN conference, right? That's right, yeah. Wow, 11 years, just about 11 years this time right, of the year. Right, yeah, exactly, yeah. And wow. for people who don't know, I've mentioned this conference before, the WIN conference is Women in Networking, and it's just an incredibly delightful experience uh, that happens every fall. This year, we did the online version for obvious reasons. yeah. It was also really nice to connect with people. That's right, yeah. And then after we met, you what did you, you came up to me? And you're like, Amy, what, what did you say? You said I think I went to one of your sessions at the event, yeah. and I laughed the way you did that training, the way you interacted with people, and I thought, Gosh, I want to learn more about this woman, and I want to follow one of her trainings. So I remember we were having lunch in the restaurant and I walk up to you and I said, hey, Amy, I'm Natasha. Can you take me to your leadership course? <laughs> take me to your leader. <laughs> and I think you said, yeah, sure. Yeah, and I had just started working with Medtronic at that time. Yeah. So that was, you were one of the first participants in the leadership presence course. That's right. That's great, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I remember after we connected for a couple of years, you reached out to me and said, Amy, I want to um, purchase your services as a Christmas gift for my husband, Brett. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I have to tell you, Natasha, he walked into the session and he looked at me and he said in a less than enthusiastic manner, you're my Christmas present. <laughs> Sounds like Brad. <laughs> but I can assure you, Amy, he loves your training and he talks about you a lot. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah, it's great. You know, you also told me something about Brett there. Um, it was something about you had asked him for feedback and he was smart enough to, ask, to say, honey, what kind of feedback do you want? Right, yeah. I uh, Recently, I recorded one of my trainings and I sent it to him. 
And I said, um, babe, um, any feedback? And he called me up and he said, what kind of feedback would you like? Yeah, that, that's like a dangerous question yeah. for a spouse. Oh, wait a second. Right, yeah. I need parameters. <laughs> exactly. And I said, positive feedback, please. He said, all right. <laughs> And I love that. And sometimes I have this good friend in New York, and sometimes we'll call each other when we're in under stress or crisis, and we usually have a story we have to tell. And so sometimes um, we'll check in with each other, and you know, one of them will say, like, so let's say I'm calling her, and I'm like, oh, Paula, I have to talk about this thing. And she'll say, now, Amy, how would you like me to listen? And it's, it's like, do you want me to come to your pity right. party? Do you, yeah. you know, do you want just, like you said, positive, supportive feedback, or do you want you know, the tough stuff. Right. And it's a customized coaching session. It's wonderful. So I really encourage people, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great. And in partnership, it's, it's essential. Yeah. Asking for feedback and asking for the kind of feedback you want, or, and if the person doesn't specify, checking what kind of feedback they want. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the, in the marriage, in the partnership like oh gosh, that, yes. that's critical. Yeah, because that's yeah, that's where you know, you're most likely to be quite real. And you, as they say, you people tend to take the gloves off, and sometimes yeah. giving the feedback with soft velvet gloves is maybe the best option. I fully agree. But it's down up to you actually clarifying what you want, as you said. Yeah, and something I noticed that when I was in a relationship with a um, a lovely man for many years. Um, he would, he was really good at in the moment when I was really raw because I would usually like make some kind of mistake or blunder. And he he learned in that moment not to give me the harsh feedback. In that moment, he'd be like, "Oh, baby, <laughs> oh, you poor thing, <laughs> oh, come here," you know. And he would just give me a cuddle and let me cry or let me complain. And he'd be my best cheerleader. Then maybe the next day, maybe a week later, we might be talking about it again. And then when I was in this less emotional place, then he'd be like, you know, hey, I have some more thoughts. Are you open to hearing it? So he was really good at dishing wow. out. Yeah. That's so thoughtful. That's great. And the, the truth is, I want to hear that tough stuff. I just can't always hear it right in the moment because my ego is too bruised or too delicate. And that's true. But isn't it like all of us like that? We need to choose sometimes the moment to give that feedback yeah. and how we give it. Yeah, yeah. That's well so said. important, yeah. Now, for listeners, let me give you some background on Natasha. You'll be able to tell perhaps from her accent or her name that she was born in the Soviet Union. And Natasha has traveled numerous parts of the world living in five countries, finally arriving in the land of chocolate and cuckoo clocks. Yes, Switzerland for now is her home and her place to work, travel, play, and enjoy life. And one of the descriptions for, of Natasha is, you, can, you would say, I would say it this way, is a towering figure in the world of corporate communications with a passion for media, public relations, crisis management, and global reputation science. Fortune 500 companies, global institutions, and diverse industries are all part of her extensive network. Investing herself, body and soul, into work, Natasha is known for having your back when things take an unexpected turn. And Natasha, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that expression. That's having your back. That's something we use when we're improvising. Did you know oh, that? No, I didn't. Yeah. So 
what happens is, and, I, and I'm in two different improv troops, and mm-hmm. it happens very specifically with my English improv troop. Mm-hmm. We, right before the show, we pat each other on the back or the shoulder or the arm, and we say, got mm-hmm. your back, got your back. Wow. Oh, yeah. And then? It's such a, a lovely little gesture that I brought it into my French improv troupe, and I've translated it. I don't know if it's the right translation, though. It's j'étendo, j'étendo, which I think means, you know, got your back, got your back. They do look at me a little strangely when I do it. They know what it means, right? Yeah, I had explained the whole concept, so I think they gave right. me some liberty there. And what it's essentially saying is, I'm there for you. Yeah. I will watch out for you. Yeah, I'll support you if things go south. Exactly. And it's incredible how much confidence it gives, at least for me when I'm improvising, I'm going to be more willing and more daring because I'm like, hey, if I mess up, I know one of my buddies is going to step in and clean it up for me. That's amazing. And I guess I, go ahead. That physical touch, it also like gives you so much confidence, right? Mm, That's very true. I'm there for you. Yeah, so I, I love knowing that that's one of your philosophies. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Natasha has a reputation for being full of creative ideas and a real solution finder. Seriously, if you throw her at a crisis, she will calmly extinguish the problem, find a solution, and even carve out an opportunity. <laughs> Natasha, I know you have many examples of this. She told me once something about a hotel in Amsterdam. I, I would love for you to recount that story to the listeners. Um. Yeah, one of the stories, we were giving a crisis and issue management training to our large group of executives and communication professionals. And part of that training was also a simulation exercise. And in that simulation exercise, we ask um, executives to come up with a strategy, how to mitigate a situation, the following situation. There is a business meeting taking place at the hotel and there was a food poisoning incident and people were taken to the hospital because of the food poisoning. That's the simulation. That's a simulation, right. Okay. And so we gave that assignment to a group of people. Um, We split them into smaller groups and they just went around the hotel finding a little spot to brainstorm, be creative, come up with a strategy. Mm Mm-hmm. And we were just going around checking how they're doing. And at some point, I've decided to go downstairs to pick up a couple of journalists that we also hired for that training um, to make this training more real. So I went to the reception to pick up those journalists. And I noticed there is a very anxious and angry customer demanding to see a general manager. Mm-hmm. And when the general manager came out, a customer said, well, look, general manager, I just found out there has been a food poisoning in this hotel and some people got sick and were taken by the ambulance to the, ho- the hospital. No. And the general manager said, oh, sir, I think you're mistaken. We, we haven't had any incidents and there was no ambulance. And he says, no, it has been. So there's a bit of a... Dialogue going on back and, and forth. The ju- the journalists are like right nearby when this and is the journalist right next oh. to me, and I'm just observing this all, and I'm looking at the reaction of general manager, and I have this hunch that my training might have something to do with this. <laughs> 
And at some point, the general manager said, all right, I'm calling an emergency meeting with my managers to sort out the situation. And then I thought, oh, my God. This customer probably overheard one of our groups. Right. And he took it for real. And he came downstairs and talked to the manager. And he demanded the answers because he also had a business meeting. So he was really concerned. And you're just guessing at this point because you don't know if that's what actually happened. I'm guessing and intuitively I'm thinking this is it. Okay. And I have my couple, couple of my journalists next to me opening up their cameras and preparing for this breaking story. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> they must have felt like they hit gold. <laughs> oh, I, they were happy. It's breaking news. What are you talking about? So um, the general manager was furious because, you know, reputation, financial losses, potential financial losses, everything was at stake. So... I didn't have time to collect all the fact and due diligence as I would normally do in any crisis situation. I had no time to call any of my colleagues. And I just said to myself, I have to step in and I have to manage this crisis. Crisis so of, of a crisis. You're going on a hunch uh, and your intuition. Right. You would normally have handled it very differently. You yeah. didn't have the luxury of time. Okay. I didn't have luxury. I had to step in and manage the situation. Because I knew the reputation of the hotel was at stake. Right. The journalists were right there. It was a matter of a few minutes. The story would go live. Right. And then eventually reputation of my company would be at stake. I'm the one who's hiring this place and giving training to those executives. <laughs> so there were yes. many... Last time Medtronic using this hotel. <laughs> it wasn't Medtronic. It was a different company. <laughs> Uh, but there are many pieces of puzzles to solve, and I quickly had to identify what are the threats. Mm. And there were many threats. And so I decided to step in, and I walked to the general manager, and I said, sir, we need to talk. And he said, oh, no, I have a crisis going on. I have no time. And I said, sir, we need to talk. I might have a solution for you. And by that time, he was calling an emergency meeting, and things were getting out of control. Did so he ins- listen to you? He eventually, he did. I insisted. I said, sir, you need to listen to me. So I explained oh. to him what has happened and what I believe is the situation. And I also asked him, please um, give me a few people from your team to help me to manage this situation because I'm alone right now. I, I know what needs to happen. I just need some help. So he listened. He gave me a few of his managers to help me. And then I turned back to the journalist and I said, look, guys. <laughs> there ain't no story here, people. No story here for you. Um, I'd like you to go upstairs with me to continue my training. And, and then I turned to the customer and I talked to him and I asked him to clarify how he found out about the situation. And sure enough, he confirmed that he overheard that story um, in the corridors of the hotel and he created this big story out of nowhere. Amazing. So we managed the situation with the help of a few people and um, I had my personal crisis simulation right there. It was a great one. <laughs> I didn't have to put up anything. It was just my personal one. Thank goodness you were in, as they say, in the right place at the right time. Right, right. And, and that you trusted yourself. Right, right. Yeah. I, I've trusted myself. And I believe also that's where 
the experience and knowledge also right. came for me to step in and no waste any time. Yeah. And yeah. just manage it. The My best gosh. interest. Yeah. Well, when Natasha's not putting out fires, she loves to discover <laughs> and experience new things, whether it's body surfing, making chocolate, or get this one, folks, facing the animal predators in North America. All right. So I got, you got to tell us, what's, what's the story with a wild animal encounter? Um, I feel like there is a theme going on here. Crisis here, crisis there, the wild animals here. <clears throat> right. So um, it's a beautiful summer day in Whistland, Canada. We were spending our summer holidays there with my husband, and we were doing lots of hikes. That's a typical thing to do. Okay. And while driving through the natural park on our way to a hike, we saw a few bears on the side of the road from a car. And at that moment, it looked like, oh, they're cute. Oh, let's take a few photos. Oh, how nice. We parked the car. We started our hike. And about mm. 10 minutes into it, I look left and I see this huge black bear staring at us about 10 feet away. So what happened then to me, I had a primal human reaction where my prefrontal cortex just shut down and I was mentally paralyzed. Okay, so in the world of fight or flight, you froze. That sounds I froze, yeah. Wow. I froze. I was mentally paralyzed. And that, I couldn't talk. Has that ever happened to you before? No, it never happened to me in a crisis situation like this, never. I couldn't talk. I couldn't think. I couldn't decide what to do next. Um, all I did, I tapped my, my husband on the shoulder and I pointed the bear. <laughs> That's all I could do. And my husband gave me a sign to get behind his back. And just freeze because oh, that's also what you do when you yeah. encounter um, a predator animal. So wait, we wait, did. Wait, back up. What, what's the? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to freeze when you oh. encounter a big animal, a predator. Okay. You're supposed to freeze. Definitely, when you see a bear, you're supposed to freeze and pretend you're a piece of I'm furniture. A <laughs> uh, yeah, a lock. I don't know. It's culture. So. Okay. For a few minutes, we were like frozen sculptures, my <laughs> husband and I. And in that state of mind, when your brain shuts down, human being can do weird things, right? And obviously, our actions are not ordinary, not effective. Um, our emotions really guiding us what we do and how we behave. So at some point, my husband pulls out a camera and starts filming the bear. And I guess at that point, my brain woke up and I'm thinking, what is he doing? What if the bear doesn't like to be filmed? <laughs> what if the bear is going to attack us? Oh so I think at that moment, my brain was slowly waking up and moving to this next um, stage, like a wise mind like intuitive thinking, start thinking, what are the possible solutions in that situation? Right. And then 
slowly I started backing up. When the bear would look away, I would make a few steps back. And then <laughs> I love that I would, game normally. <laughs> yeah. And then I would freeze again, back up, freeze again. So we start doing this game. I think the and, game, it, the Americans call it Mother May I. <laughs> probably. It was, uh, probably it's a nice game. Although in that setting, it was somewhat challenging and scary, obviously. So eventually, um, we walked away a little bit backwards because you're supposed to face the animal. Okay. And for some reason, we walk into different directions. Someone left, my husband went right. And I guess the bear at some point decided, uh, no, I'm not interested in them. I'll just go away. So we turned around and we said, we're going to a different direction. And two minutes later, we see three bears' mothers, <clears throat> excuse me, with their cops. So that first bear just... Yeah, that first bear was interest. like, yeah. And now we have those three bears' mothers and cops. Mm. And they were further away. And we all know that mothers and cops, they're more dangerous than any other animal. Right, you don't want to get between them. You don't. So our hike was over pretty much at that moment. <laughs> Honey, we're going home. <laughs> yeah, we go home. And, you know, Amy, it wasn't my last hike when I saw many wild animals. Really? There were many others in other parts of North America and Australia. And there were many other incidents in the wild, river, car crash, drowning incidents. Uh, many other examples where you had to face the nature or the wildlife. Yeah. And uh, really uh, decide what do you do about it. So in this situation where you talk about with the bears, you saw this reaction, primal reaction you'd never had before to freeze. Right. Now, it sounds like that might have been the right thing to do with a bear, though maybe not in every case that is that the right or the best choice. So you said there was a drowning experience. What happened in that situation or near drowning? There are many experiences that are still going on. I guess it's a theme in our family. <laughs> And the drowning experience, we were on a rafting trip in Colorado on the mountain river, and we flipped, and we ended up being underneath the boat, and there was a person sitting on that boat, so we couldn't get out um, of the river, and it took us a while. And what I want to say, as in this experience, so previous experience with the bear and many other wild animals and wild experience, other experiences in the wild, yeah. I was always ignorant about our primal human reactions. I didn't know much about it. I didn't understand. I didn't take time to think that you can actually train our brain and learn certain reactions. Uh-huh. And in that particular incident, I was also hoping, oh, my husband will save me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And this Unconscious, time... Unconsciously, you had that thought process. Right. And this mm-hmm. time he couldn't because he had to fight for his own life. Yeah. He's like, honey, I'm a little busy. <laughs> right. And for me, I was the moment, that's enough, probably. Enough of being ignorant. Enough of relying on um, chance and mother nature. You have to learn, you have to understand how your brain reacts to those um, uh, situations, how you can respond better, what you can do about it. You can train yourself. 
Well, so would you consider that one of your aha moments? It was, yeah, it was the aha moment when I said, this is enough. I need to learn and train myself, train parts of my brain and become better and be prepared and ready to handle challenging situations in my life. And now I know it's possible. Okay, so I know I want to get into a lot more of this detail, though I'm curious to know, um, do you have one or two examples of how you consciously trained that? Um, I think there are a number of um, trainings you can do. And what I do in my crisis management training, I think it always starts with your personal reaction, personal response. Mm. Well, that's an interesting point because... The same thing for me. There was as I was growing up, and I would be very dramatic and reactive. You know, there would be that instinctual, usually predator reaction. Right. And then, and I probably should explain to the listeners that what we mean when we're using the term predator and prey. And then, um, over time, I learned to create space and move it from a reaction to a response. Right. Right. And just by acknowledging this um, re- reaction of your body, your physiological reaction, your emotional reaction, just by acknowledging and by accepting it, that's already a huge step forward because that gives you a lot of mental power to move forward and clearly look for opportunities and meaningful solutions. Mm-hmm. Natasha, before we go for a break, I want to uh, introduce this model of Predator Prey Partner briefly for our listeners who are not familiar with it. And then when we come back, we're going to jump into more details. Yeah. So these are three archetypes. The predator shows too much respect for herself, not enough for others, leaving other people feeling intimidated or disrespected. The prey holds too much respect for others, not enough for herself, and can not only damage their reputation, their results worse yet, it can trigger people to become a predator towards them. And then, so the idea is step in partner, and the partner is the ideal balance of the confidence behaviors of the predator, the likability behaviors of the prey. So you're holding high respect for the other, high respect for yourself simultaneously, regardless of what is happening. And this is where the magic happens. So you, when we come back from break, we're going to be talking in more detail about you know, problems of when we go predator, when we go prey, and then also how to stay partner under pressure. Now, if you are, want to find out more about Natasha, I encourage you to check out her website, reputation-science.com. And we're going to be back in the break from the break shortly. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. 
Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she's been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more out of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Send an email with questions or comments or to share your own interpersonal communication dilemmas to amy at carolcoaching.com. That's amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. I'm speaking with Natasha Konstantinova today, and we're talking about crisis, crisis management, and what it takes to be able to manage yourself internally, to be able to be successful handling these type of challenges. Now, Natasha, I know that music is a big part of your life, and you followed your childhood dream to be a choir conductor. Right. 30 years later now, you find yourself training businesses around the world in media, crisis, and communication. Tell us about this evolution. How did it begin? So I think I mentioned that I've always wanted to be a musician and become a choir conductor, and I followed a dream. And in 1991, I became a proud student of the university in St. Petersburg. Mm, Nice. And as much as I dreamed of studying music and becoming a choir conductor, I also dreamed of becoming more independent and partying like any good student would do. <laughs> so, summer 1991, there I was, partying all night long and then ending up at someone's house for an after-party celebration. Okay. And you're like how old at this point? I was about 18 years old. 18, Okay. And an hour later, at that party, a man was holding a gun to my head. No. Taking me as a hostage um, after intense arguments with his friends. Did, did you just meet him at the party? Was he, did he, yeah, was he invited? I met him at the party. He was part of the crew. And there I was, taken wow. as a hostage. Obviously... Um, it wasn't what I was dreaming of, becoming more independent. It wasn't on your bucket list. No, it wasn't, no. And the gun scene wasn't part of my plan either. <laughs> so there I was. I, at that age, I knew very little about hostage negotiation techniques, <laughs> right? I wasn't yeah. trained uh, to communicate, right, or manage any crisis at that no. moment. No, how to drive a car, how to change a tire maybe. Right. <laughs> not, no, not even that. <laughs> you know, I just became a student. Finally, my dream will, be, will become true. So there where I was. And he's uh, the gun scene. So a part of that night, 
I was also, um, I didn't want to accept the fact that I was taken as a hostage. I panicked, I felt sad, I was furious, and then I managed to escape and hide myself in the bathroom of that apartment. Okay. Now, what I did not realize that the bathroom of that apartment was not a good place to secure myself. <laughs> okay. And I could also hear from the voice of my hostage taker, he wasn't happy about me escaping and hiding in there. Uh-huh. So in a matter of seconds, my existence, my life turned upside down. And I needed to change something and make choices. And my choices were either to die or to get out alive. Uh-huh. And the difference between those choices was obviously huge, massive. Right. So I realized I need to do something. And dying was not a goal for me. It wasn't <laughs> part of my plan nope. later. So I wanted a better outcomes of that situation. And I decided I need to make a plan. Now, being in that bathroom and being overwhelmed emotionally, um, I, it took me a while to go through that process. When you say, what process and how long did it take? The emotional process. So Mm -hmm. I was angry, I was sad, I was furious. I I didn't know what to do. And I realized that my emotions, I was hijacked by my emotions. Ah, and I'm making a hijacking. Yeah. And I realized if that continues, there's nothing I can do about it. So... I need to calm down. I need to put my emotions under control. Uh-huh. And, and I think after I realized that, I managed to calm down and put my emotions under control. I've accepted all my feelings. I've accepted that I was terrified, that I was sad, I, I panicked. There was nobody to call for help. So, Natasha, are you saying that what allowed you to get control of your emotions was simply becoming aware and acknowledging of how you, how you were feeling in the moment? I think so. Wow. I think that will really help me. The understanding that your emotions are on the way to next step for your brain to think, to be rational, to make certain clear decisions. So not changing anything other than the acknowledging is what allowed you to calm down enough to make rational decisions. Yeah, I believe so. Interesting. Okay. And then what happened? I calmed down and I decided I'm going to make a plan. And my plan would be either to find a new place to hide, call for help, or bond with the hostage taker Uh and get out of that place uh, with his approval. And I guess my plan wasn't perfect. And I didn't have all the elements to that plan. We didn't have a social media back then. Right, 1991, no mobile no, phones. Mm-hmm. No mobile phones. And I didn't know whether my plan would work or not. Yet I decided I have a plan and I have to execute it. Um, like I said, it probably wasn't perfect. The result is good, though. You know, I'm here today. Right. I'm <laughs> Clearly it worked. <laughs> Clearly it worked, right. So what did you do? So I, I couldn't understand what was is there is another place to hide. I had no mobile phone. I didn't know how to contact anybody else. And to contact, I had to get out of the bathroom, which wasn't safe. So I decided my only choice is to bond with the hostage taker. So him and I ended up having a very long conversation on different sides of the bathroom door. 
Like well, long, how, how long? I would say probably a good 30, 40 minutes. Wow. And the more questions I ask, the more stories he shared. Mm. And the more stories he shared about his unhappy life mm-hmm. and the things he was living through. Clearly, he wasn't a happy person. And at some point, I started feeling sorry for the guy. Wow. I had a lot of empathy for him. And at some point, I also started feeling his anger was going away. Uh-huh. And I guess um, that whole dynamic and conversation um, helped him maybe to relieve certain things. So by you asking questions and listening to him, that was yet another form of empathy, empathy that you were offering him this time. And I'm guessing that when you saw him or felt him calming down, that was probably helping you as well to calm down. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh-huh. We were creating that bond that both people start feeling more comfortable and more secured. Okay, so 40 minutes later then, what happens? I slowly opened the bathroom door. I just had that intuition that he is okay-ish. I opened the door slowly and he put away his gun and he said to me, you have to get ready and go home. And then he insisted that he would walk me to the nearest metro station (laughs) because it's dark and dangerous and he wanted to make sure I get home okay. Well, that's a flip. (laughs) And I was like, no, I think I'm okay. Thank you. It's very kind of you. I'm okay. And he's I, like, oh, I've been no. through more difficult things. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 I'll take you. And so oh, we geez. had a bit of a back and forth. And I was like, no, I'm not going to argue with him. You know, I had already a little bit of experience here. No more bathroom for me. So, sure. And so he walked me to the nearest metro station. Oh, um, he wished me good night. He asked me to stay safe. And <laughs> I went home. Will do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, Natasha, that story is outrageous. So what was it, what was the big aha, the big learning for you from that whole story? Um, you know, one of the important things, you probably should choose wisely people you want to party with. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are many learnings from that story, obviously, um, and controlling your emotions mm. and giving yourself that opportunity to think to think clearly make choices yeah. analyze situation that's huge mm. going through empathy bonding it's it's almost like being a partner what you described earlier right like having a partner mindset showing respect he was my hostage taker. He's still a human being, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what an extreme situation. You know, as you were telling the story, something popped into my mind. Um, about 10 or 12 years ago, I was hired by the UN, the United Nations in Geneva, to do communication training. Mm-hmm. And in order to go through that process of being certified or accepted, I had to listen to and watch about four hours of modules online. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, really, what's the point? I, I you know, this is all going to be very basic. And I could feel my ego was sort of getting in the way. And I reminded myself, I have a mantra, which is Amy, play the game. Mm-hmm. What I mean by play the game is Amy, put your ego to the side, 
Don't think that you're superior to or better than anyone else. Don't think that you should have exceptions just because you're you. Just go through the process and don't be a jerk about it. Right. So that that mantra helps me. I'm like, okay, play the game. And then I, I I went one step further, which was, and who knows, Amy, maybe you'll learn something right. in this process. So I forced myself to, even if mechanically, to stay open to that possibility. Mm-hmm. I watched the video and I get to the last video and it's what to do if you're taken hostage. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be doing communication training in Geneva. I don't think being taken hostage is a high possibility. Unless you're going out partying like I did. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, seriously, you do never know. So right. I was like, okay, well, you know, let, let me listen with curiosity. And what they said in the video is they said, never cry, plead, or beg for your life if you're taken hostage. Mm-hmm. So Natasha, in my world, essentially what I heard them saying is, under no circumstances should you go pray. Right, right. And I was fascinated by that. In fact, I got to pause and ask you, when you were in that situation, in that bathroom, did do you ever have a, an urge or an inkling or a likelihood that you were going to slip into pray? You know, I thought about it at that moment. And then I thought, well, what am I going to get out of it? I'm going to go pray sitting in the bathroom behind the door. Is he going to be empathetic or he's going to feel something for me and let me go? And I thought, no, probably that's not going to work. Interesting. So yeah, I did thought about it. So you had such clarity that you actually consciously considered it and you chose against it. And and it sounds like based on my own experience and based Mm -hmm. on what I got from this training is it will not go well if you go pray. I don't think so. And the challenge for many people, many people I work with, and this may have been a challenge for you in the past, and it certainly was for me, is I don't know, how do I control my emotions? How do I suppress that urge to um, cry or to scream or to be upset? And it's true. I, I mean, I was born a drama queen. My parents will tell you that. Really? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You, Emmy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the challenge, so I, this was about now, let me rewind back 1993, 94. I was working in Chicago in a private psychiatric hospital, and I was working in a unit for the high, for high-functioning adults. Mm-hmm. Now, I, highly manipulative people. And I got to tell you, not just the patients were manipulative. Mm-hmm. The staff was pretty manipulative as well. So between the challenges of the, working with the patients, my own baggage, and the challenges of colleagues, I was definitely crying periodically, you know, a, a couple of mm-hmm. times a month, probably. So even though I didn't have a tendency to go pray, this, that was a thing that triggered me, mm-hmm. is under such stress I found myself going pray. And I had this good friend that worked in the hospital, Janet, who was one of the nurses. And she was a predator and she was looking out for me. And she, she came, one day she came up to me and she stuck her finger in my face. She said, Amy, never cry at work again. And I was like, <laughs> I, 
I knew she was right, Natasha, except I had no idea how I could possibly not do that. Yeah. How, how can I resolve right. this? Right. And honestly, very anticlimactic. I don't know how I did it. But what I can it. tell you, I did it. Exactly. So now fast forward six months later, I'm, um, I'm going through probably one of the most dramatic things that ever happened in my life. I was living with my partner in Chicago. Um, I was, you know, head over heels in love with him. And one day he came home to break the news to me that he um, had started a relationship with another woman. Oh, no. I was devastated. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it doesn't stop there. It got worse. And I could see he was still upset when he's telling me. I'm like, oh, don't you tell me. And I knew what it was. So I, I, made, I kept my mouth shut. I just waited to you know, torture him a little bit more and make him, to tell, make him tell me. She was pregnant. No way. <laughs> And, and so this, and everyone knew him, they knew I was in love with him. And so this was, you know, and, and because I was someone who would always wear my emotions on my sleeve, Mm -hmm, that expression mm -hmm. to somehow some miracle, I was able to go into work and just, you know, compartmentalize and say, okay, you know, this has happened to me and I'm at work now. To the point where I remember one afternoon I was outside. I, I had taken the patients out to the yard to get some sunshine and to mm. play some games. And as I was standing, uh, uh, supervising, I was standing next to the wall talking to my friend, Chris. And Chris, like, and she was a very close friend and a real sweetheart. She said, hi, Amy, how you doing? I'm like, well, and I, I lower my voice. I said, um, so Michael has a girlfriend and she's pregnant. <laughs> you said that. And I just, you know, said like very matter of fact, very casual. And Chris is like, and she's horrified. Plus, she's like looking at me like, Amy, how are you okay with this? And I said, I, Chris, I'm just, I'm not quite sure. And it wasn't shock because I had time Mm -hmm. to digest it, though. So I guess even though I can't tell listeners precisely how I did this, what I can say was when Janet stuck her finger in my face and said, you know, you got to stop crying at work. I think what happened is I planted a seed. Right. And it was enough of that intention to say, okay, this has got to change. And my unconscious mind worked on it to the point at which I was then able to manage my emotions in a very extreme situation. Wow. So I, that's unfortunately all I have to offer for listeners who are very emotional, though I got to say it worked. So I would encourage people who consider themselves very emotional, whether it's, you know, you know I t- tell people it's partly because of my Irish heritage. I get, you know, people who are Italian say that whatever the reason might be that you're someone who's very emotional, or maybe you're very transparent or very you know, you you like to be honest with your emotions, that doesn't mean you can't manage them more effectively. Right. Yeah. I would agree with you. Yes. And so um, now bringing that back to the story of the UN, uh, you know, well, people say, well, Amy, when is it okay to go predator or prey? And I used to say never. And that's still the case, as you could tell from the story with prey. I recommend never go pray. So you got to find a way to manage your internal state in order to not go pray. Now, as far as going predator, 
I've adjusted my opinion on that. And I do feel that maybe sometimes going predator is appropriate. And here's my gauge. It's a very, very high bar. If my life or someone else's life is at Mm -hmm. risk, then maybe, just maybe, Maybe. going predator is the right right thing to do. And I will almost always attempt to look for a partner solution before going predator, before giving into that. Yeah. And the thing is, in, in order for us to have partner as an option under those extreme stress situations, those crisis moments that you're talking about, we've got to go to the partner gym. We've got to work we out. We do. We do. We 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 got to train ourselves, and we're capable to learn to train, retrain the whole neuroplasticity effect. That's it's incredible what it can do to you. Yeah, yeah. So you know, for me, listening to your story, that when in crisis, to acknowledge and accept the emotions that we're in in that moment can help you reboot the brain. Which, as you had said, allows us to focus on choices and opportunity. Right. Yeah. And you can train yourself also to do that. Yes. Now, Natasha, I'm curious to know if, you know, you've got examples of situations with clients or I think your own crisis situations and professional situations where you have been able to effectively manage the situation. Would you share one or two of those learnings with us or, or those stories rather? Um, yeah, I have many of those stories. <laughs> um, maybe one of them. I was sitting one day, I was sitting at my desk as the head of PR and communications and I got a call from an investigative journalist mm-hmm. telling me that the company I worked for was engaged in a corrupt practice. Oh, my gosh. And the local authorities uh, will be investigating the office. Now, if that's not enough. And they didn't mean like in a couple of weeks. No, it was, it's happening now. And you never know when the authorities will come to the office, right? And the journalists, they, they never really give you some time. Um, they just call you and say, this is the situation. Mm. deal with it so they never really inform me in advance and so simultaneously um, our internal IT system was shut down at the company I worked for and at any moment social or traditional media they could have picked up on the story if not managed well so right. these were two completely unrelated crises Comple- happening com- at the same time completely unrelated happening at the same time and if either of those or both of those cases not manage well and social media, traditional media pick up on the story, that means a serious reputational damage and financial loss to our company. Right. And it wasn't pretty. I can tell you. And basically... Both of those situations, they call for actions and choices. What do we do? How do we mm-hmm. handle these situations? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you say to the journalists? How do you handle authorities when they 
visit your office unexpectedly? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do with internal um, IT system? How do you answer requests from your customers? You know, all of a sudden it felt like we were back to Stone Age banging rocks together because we couldn't take orders, we couldn't sell products. And at any moment, we could have law enforcement come into our office and investigating. And at the same time, you're asking yourself, how do I respond to it on social or traditional media? And if I respond, what statements do I make? Right. Because do it wrong. Yep. And you will be spending days, weeks, months, and maybe even years to manage, it up. yeah, cleaning it up and yeah. rebuilding your reputation. So I don't know if we have time to, for you to give us the whole overview of how you resolved it. What are some highlights that you would give listeners for what you learned from that and what you did that worked? Uh, the highlights, I think what really helped us, we had a plan, we had a strategy, mm-hmm. we had processes. Yeah how to handle the situation, which we followed. We did mm-hmm. our due diligence. We checked mm-hmm. the facts. We Obviously, we had a really great communications team in-house to handle all the unhappy followers and journalists. We were transparent. We took that accountability. Mm-hmm. We put our customers and employees as our priority, which is really important in times like this. Right. So and you held, held that as your clear focus and um, highest importance. Absolutely, yeah. Nice. And we, we show accountability. We acknowledge mm. the situation, the crisis. Mm. And we, say, we stay transparent. And we responded fast. Because mm-hmm. in today's world, you don't have the luxury to take days and hours to think how you're going to respond to right. a crisis situation like this. Right. Because the reputation of your company is at stake. Wow. You know, I wish we could talk more about this and and hear more of these uh, wild stories and your successes. And we're just about out of time. So, Natasha, as we're wrapping up, can you give us in one sentence a call for action for listeners? My call for action, be aware no one is immune to a crisis. It can happen to anyone and it can affect anyone these days be ready be prepared Mm. and be aware of your personal response and that happens acknowledge it accept it beautiful and move forward my call for action to listeners is to share with me your communication conundrums clashes challenges and mishaps blunders and successes you can do that via email or on my social media and you can reach out to me at amy at carolcoaching.com natasha thank you so much for your time today Thank you, Amy. Listen, if you want to connect with Natasha, check her out on reputation-science.com. And be sure to tune in next week because I'll be taking some calls and we're going to be looking forward to a great interview. If you are game for more, I'm going to be hopping on Facebook Live five minutes past the hour. And in the meantime, you've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. 
join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good. Good.